Big Sloth. I claim the right of challenge. You have no right to challenge. You are not Thark. He is Thark. He is Dotar Sojat. Dotar Sojat. Dotar Sojat. Dotar Sojat. Dotar Sojat. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and look for a silver lining. And we found it. We're six for six or whatever? Yeah, however many. Seven for seven? I think this is our Seven eighth. for seven? Yeah. This is episode seven, so we're six for six. Okay, well there you go. Math. Yeah. We did we it. We it. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, but, no, this is episode, no, this is episode eight. So yeah, I thought uh, it was episode eight. Yeah, I didn't want It is episode eight. Yeah, 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 because this is the end of the month. That makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, seven for seven for seven. We, we've yeah. done yeah. seven movies and found seven silver linings at least per movie. Yeah. Sometimes multiple, and we're going to do it again. I have, I, have, I have faith. I actually have a lot of faith uh, because, so this week uh, we're watching, we were watching, we watched John Carter. Uh, and this was uh, the idea for this month was to watch uh, movies that were clearly meant to be a franchise that it just didn't happen. Uh, and while I'm sure we'll get to all this, while I completely understand <laughs> why there was no franchise, I got to say, like, you know, with our previous seven movies, this one, it's OK. This dare I go out on a limb and say that this is might even be the best of the seven movies that of the eight movies that we've talked about i think that's right <laughs> uh yeah it's interesting because i mean well we did we did a whole month of uh bad star wars movies uh yes we've been doing a lot of sci-fi we gotta i think we need to course correct that a little going forward like we've been a little sci-fi yeah. heavy but uh well, there's a lot of bad sci-fi movies <laughs> there's for sure is uh but uh, yeah this one i mean we'll and we'll talk about it like we'll get into it but it's definitely, it's not a great movie, but, you no, know. No, it's not, it's not a great movie. It's a good movie, though. It's a good movie. Like, it's a solid, you know, if you were looking, like, if you really love sci-fi and you wanted more of it, it's a very, I'd say, competently made kind of overall mediocre movie. <laughs> like, it's a yes. well-made, bland movie. <laughs> yeah, I think... We're going to get to a better silver lining than that. We're not done by any oh, stretch. Oh, no, no, no. But, That's just a starting point. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, and so it's John Carter is obviously the movie, and it is based on uh, the John Carter from Mars book series, which is one of the uh, first uh, sci-fi book series, really, too. And one of in sort of um, combined a lot of fantasy genres and stuff and mixed it with... Um, sort of this new burgeoning science fiction is from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, famous for writing Tarzan. Um, and I've never read the books, but I'm really curious to now, kind of, uh, just to see sort of what they're, yeah, no, what they're I, all about. 
Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that in that, like, you know, and that was something, you know, and I'm, I'm going to try not to bring up too many old shows that we've done. But, like, when we talked about Jupiter Ascending, uh, we, we really talked about how they were trying to do world building and it felt like there was a lot being thrown at the wall. And I, I feel like the world building is solid in this. Like, it's it's dense for mm-hmm. sure. And I think that that's some of where the movie struggles is it's trying to give you a novel and, you know, a series of novels worth of backstory and like understanding into a movie. And so like the beginning especially is pretty, uh, you know, like just information heavy. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I, and I think the movie gets better as it goes along and simplifies, you know, like we we get a lot thrown at us. And then in the end, it's like, OK, well, this group of people is bad. The other two groups of people are good, so the good groups of people need to come together to fight the bad group of people. Yeah, one thing I will say I appreciate about this movie is that there wasn't really a Captain Exposition character that they did a lot more showing and not telling. Um, And I think a lot of that stems from Andrew Stanton, the director, who uh, is most famous for his work with Pixar, doing uh, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory... um, and being involved with Toy Story as one of the writers. Well, and he also that, so. Wally, Wally as and well. Wally, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's the thing is like Andrew Stanton because uh, I looked that up too. Like because I was like, this movie is really well done, and I mean he's he's a legit director. Like Andrew Stanton's accomplished. He also uh, I was interested to see that he directed the Pinata episode of Better Call Saul. So like that's kind of and maybe that's an interesting thing we'll get to in this show that it seems like he has not been uh, allowed to direct a live. This was kind of his first live action movie. Obviously it was not super well received. He hasn't done a live action film since then. He did direct finding Dory after this. Yeah. Um, But, and he did a couple episodes of stranger things, but that's what I was going to say is it it seems like mostly he's done live action television and not so much uh, any more movies. Yeah. Which like this was, I mean, I don't know what your memory of this is, but I remember that this was meant to definitely like this was heavily, uh, you know, advertised. It was a Disney movie. Uh, so it had that Disney money behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll also we'll probably get to him, too. But like, it's interesting to see Taylor Kitsch was really meant to be a leading man. Uh, he if you don't know who that is, he's the lead in this. He he was Riggins in Friday Night Lights. And, you know, he's Gambit and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Well, but that's the thing is, so like he was that character that was like kind of a breakout character on a very beloved uh, show. And then he was meant to be Gambit in uh, obviously like that X-Men Origins Wolverine that was meant to be kind of like a soft launching of Gambit, you know, sort of the way they do in the MCU of like the hope being that it would turn into then we'd get a Gambit movie, but that movie was so bad that that didn't happen. He also starred in Battleship, the yeah, movie based right. on a board game that had aliens in it, like the board game. Was Liam Neeson the aliens? I think so. I, you know, I've seen We're not ba- talking about Battleship, though. That, that might be a good fodder for another Honestly, playback God, future, I know but... I saw Battleship and I, I don't have a memory except that there were aliens. And I was like, I mean, I don't know what you would have done with this concept but i wouldn't have guessed this so yeah anyway uh, I, I will say that um if because i think we're going to talk about a lot of the good of this movie for most of this podcast i'm not a taylor kitsch fan no and let's be clear so yeah we're gonna be 
Uh, we're going to be very complimentary in this movie. Taylor Kitsch is not very good in this movie. I, I think no. he does the action well enough, but he's doing a weird John Wayne voice. Yeah, he's doing like... Um, Joel and I both uh, have experience doing improv, and he does the I'm an action movie star improv character voice. Yeah, and kind of subtly bails on it by the end of the movie. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's way more it's, pronounced in the beginning. It's like a bunch of the dailies came through, and they're like, you know what? <laughs> Let's just ignore that accent. <laughs> Yeah, which I yeah, I don't know what that choice was. He like I think the movie uses him pretty well, but I don't think he's adding a lot of value to the movie except for like the value that he was meant to add is that uh he has long hair and is hopefully, you know, enticing female viewers, which I obviously know. He's conventionally no one... good looking. I'll, I'll I'll say that. Yeah, he's uh and also I didn't mean to be so gender binary about that. Anyone who might be attracted to uh, a handsome young man with long hair. Uh, you know, <laughs> like that is what his job is in this movie, uh, which I don't think people saw this movie, so it didn't seem it like didn't it, work. It didn't seem like it worked. Uh, but that, yeah, it, it, but it's interesting to see that, yeah, he, he had like three shots at, you know, leading man, you know, well, two shots at legit being the leading man and then one that was supposed to lead to him being a leading man. Uh, and then he hasn't really been seen. I saw, I looked him up on IMDb because I was curious and apparently he was in a later season of True Detective, but... I didn't watch that one, so a, yeah, I only wa I watched the first one, which was great, and then the second one. I didn't watch the third one, although I heard it was pretty good. Yeah, but I, I'm guessing that, I think he was in the third one. Yeah, I, but I yeah I I had I, uh, I had not stuck around. <laughs> no, so. um, but back to John Carter. We've been digressing quite a bit. Um, one other thing, and you could call this a silver line, but this movie, like, and I think it's that Disney money, like, really had a big cast. It has a big cast. It looks good, I feel like. like the special effects hold up pretty well. Yeah, the, the Thark, who are the the non-humanoid alien species. Yeah. Um, they look good. They're sort of these green, four-armed, betusked creatures and... Yeah, and I like, yeah. uh, I maybe you remember, I don't remember the name of the, the thing that is clearly designed to sell toys and is just a dog that follows around John Carter. I don't know what it's called, but yes. It was but the, that thing the, is delightful. The Happy Meal toy. It is yeah. a delight. <laughs> it's a delightful Happy Meal toy, for sure. It's this weird teleporting bulldog thing. Also, to go back to your point, casting Willem Dafoe as the leader of the uh, four-armed aliens, great move. Like, put Willem Dafoe in everything. I have a feeling, as we continue to do this show, we will probably hit on a lot of movies that Willem Dafoe is in. There, uh, there's a decent chance. But I love him every time. He is always a welcome addition to any movie in my book. Uh, and he's great in this. Yeah. Although, one thing I'll say... Um, so one of the other, the, the evil green forearmed alien, the evil Thark, as they're called, is voiced by Thomas Hayden Church. Mm -hmm. And I love Thomas Hayden Church. I think he's a great actor. I think he has a great voice. But his voice was like too terrestrial almost. Yeah. Yeah. He like, didn't really. Will, yeah, I like... Willem Dafoe like felt like, okay, that's what that guy sounds like. But then I heard this guy. I'm like, it's Lowell from Wings. Yeah, because Willem Dafoe feels like an alien. So it's kind of a logical choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other one felt like, oh, you got Thomas Aiden Church. <laughs> so, that, okay. 
Uh, also, just while we're talking about the cast, uh, really wasted use of Brian Cranston in the beginning. Yeah, he's. There. I mean, he's great in his little bit, but yeah. he's there and gone. He's a he plays a um, a former Union general uh, who is now trying to recruit John Carter to help fight the uh, Native American wars in the in the Old West. Yeah. Uh, and he's and he, in he's the got, very first couple scenes and then gone for the rest of the movie. Yeah, we also get uh, Jimmy McNulty from The Wire is yeah, the villain Dominic in this West. movie. Dominic West, who's, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, um, also, Julius Caesar. I, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like James uh, Purifoy, right? I believe that is his name, right? Yeah. Um, and Mark Strong, who's always a great character actor, playing in a, a villain behind the scenes as he does about half the time. Oh wait, sir. James Purifoy is—he's also in the movie, but he—the guy that I was talking about. Um, sorry, I'm like scanning for his name. He plays the dad of the, you know, like he's the one trying to sell off his daughter. Into oh, Kieran Hines. Yeah, yeah. Kieran Hines is a great actor. Yeah, he played he was Julius Raider. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, in, in Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah, but he he also there was an HBO uh, Julius Caesar. Oh yeah, Rome, right? Which I never watched. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all of that digression aside, enough digressions. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, Lynn Collins uh, was also in it, and she was also in X Men Origins Wolverine. I yeah, I noticed that weird uh, X Men Origins Wolverine, you know, symmetry. I don't know if they had the same casting director. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, <laughs> But she's fine. She plays the female lead. Yeah, I, I I think like she's charming in a few scenes. You know, they they're trying to find a balance with her of like, you know, trying to not to just make her a damsel in distress. They make her, you know, like she she's pretty. I don't know. It's a weird mix of like sometimes she's really leading the action, uh, which is great. And I really love those scenes. And I think she's actually better in those scenes. But then they're also trying to strike this balance of, but then her father is forcing her to marry someone. And like, I'd be curious about the original books. Like if they kind of added, uh, you know, like to make it feel more modern and to like, you know, really correct the sort of like damsel in distress aspect of it. Like they wanted to give her more to do uh, and like more agency, but then... She still is like, but I have to marry this guy because my dad says. So it's like this weird, you know, disharmony with half of what she's doing doesn't match with the other half of what she's doing. But I think it was more it was also that, like, if you marry this guy, it'll unite the people and bring peace was sort of the secondary motive. Even yeah. though it was like, even though Jimmy McNulty is clearly a scumbag. Yeah, like never plays it as anything except a scumbag the whole time. <laughs> Which, to be fair, Dominic West frequently does that in his movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, like, Jimmy McNulty is kind of a scumbag. Like, Yeah, he's not on the up and up. Yeah. Um, But no, I thought uh, Samantha Morton is, is one of the other Thark. Um, and I thought she did a, you know, she was the one that they sort of travel around with. Sola, I think her name was. Yeah. And she's another good actress that, you know, Academy Award nominated and. So I had a lot of a lot of good actors and and good good performances too. No, for sure. Like, yeah, I, it's clearly a lot of uh, money and casting and special effects was all put into this. So I guess, like you know, like we said, there's going to be a lot of silver linings. But let's maybe take a moment to try to figure out 
why this movie didn't work. It definitely got a lot of bad press. Uh, yes, it did. Did upon coming out, because um, I'm trying to, you know, I think like, I think there was maybe because it's, it's 2012. This is sort of like right when the MCU is kicking into higher gear. Yeah, and um, the Dark Knight trilogy is just about wrapping up, and um, I think that there, and granted, we haven't gotten over it yet. But um, I think this is like the early onset franchise fatigue for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and this seemed like such a clear and blatant cash grab to try to establish a new franchise. And I think that maybe people weren't having it. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, and before we started, I I showed you the trailer because I remember the trailers for this movie, like making it look, you know, all right. And I, you know, it's funny because I think you said before we started that, like, honestly, the movie's probably even a little bit better than the trailer. The trailer makes it look a little corny, but I didn't think the marketing was bad for this movie, but yeah, it might just be a case of like wrong time, you know, like just it wasn't what people wanted at the time. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say one thing also about Andrew Stanton is that um, he very much takes the blame um, is that he said that this was like his first live action movie and he said he was too controlling and tried to control the marketing and try to control everything. And that he thinks if he left it to people that were professionals at those things, that maybe it would have been pitched better to the world. And, um, but he was like, it was sort of his baby because like he, I think he said that like the John Carter series was one of the things that like sort of inspired his love of fantasy and sci-fi and all that. Um, so he puts a lot of the onus on him for the movie's failure. That's nice of him. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know about the behind the scenes, but I'd say the on-screen product, I think that he, it seems like he did a good job. Like, I think he delivered a good movie. Well, and but I, and I think that he's saying that, like, he got too controlling beyond just what went on the screen. Yeah. Like, trying to control the way it was marketed, trying to control where the, where it was released, how it was pushed, all of that stuff. Um, but another sort of interesting thing about this movie is that it might hold the record for longest movie in development hell ever. Oh. Which is a fun fact. The well, first like... attempt to make this movie was in the 1930s. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and it, there was a push with uh, some of the Looney Tunes directors to try to make this an animated feature because they knew they didn't have the technology to do it otherwise. And it was going to possibly even beat uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to the big screen had it, but like followed the, but then it like some of the, some of the early animation sequences tested poorly. And um, they just didn't think that Martian sci-fi would play to middle America. <laughs> and which is sort of an interest, <laughs> um, which is sort of an interesting thing. Um, there's a reason that this movie is just called John Carter and not John Carter from Mars, which is the series. Um, it's because they thought that like adding from Mars would make people think it was cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> or John Carter of Mars or whatever it's called. But Which is um, funny because they sneak that in at the end of the movie. Uh, right. Which maybe that's him being overly controlling. So, yeah, I think that's... Um, but yeah, and there were there were efforts a few other times. Uh, Ray Harryhausen tried to make a version of the movie. Oh with man, his famous stop motion theater. I was gonna say um, I would have loved that version. Oh yeah, it would have been great. Um, but uh, and then it finally got made in 2012, and I, I think in four because I think, and granted, again, having not read the books, um, there's a uh, it's a whole series you know called the Barsoom Chronicles or whatever. 
Um, and it's, which also don't call them that. <laughs> like if, no, no, that's no one's going to know what that is. Um, but <clears throat> that is a whole series. You know, it, it's there was a plenty of source material that they could have because they literally did just do the first book. Um, you know, because a lot of times I think when they're adapting properties that have a lot of stuff, they try to cram multiple things into one unit of production. Like <clears throat> the Witcher series on Netflix is like three or four of the books. Um, a lot of comic book movies will try to pack a few different storylines or pull from a bunch of different storylines. Uh, whereas, yeah, this, they, they really, I think they really just focused on that first book, which is called princess of Mars. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also it, probably good. They didn't call it print John Carter and the princess of Mars. Cause that wouldn't have worked. I don't think. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that John Carter is a good name either because I don't think that you hear John Carter and like go, Oh, you know what that probably is. It's probably like a post civil war, uh, film about a guy who goes to Mars, you know, right. like I don't think it, it conveys what it is either, you know? Yeah. It's, mm. But yeah, and I, you know, like, I think that's what's tough, like, because again, so for me, I think when the movie gets to the thing, like when we, we kind of get to this idea of, like, I think it does a pretty good job, like, if you look at the hero's journey of it, uh, of if you simplify the story down to this, and maybe this is kind of like what the marketing could have been effective, is essentially, it's a guy, he was a soldier, uh, you know, we, we get into his backstory throughout the movie, but clearly he's a soldier who's pretty much like lost everything, uh, who's now just trying to navigate, uh, life. And he, you know, ends up finding a medallion goes to Mars, in which case he's basically swept up into another civil war conflict, uh, which he has no interest in being a part of, you know, he refuses the call of the journey. Right. And then, eventually you know uh kind of is won over for the cause uh fights for justice and actually sort of embraces this new home and then you know loses all that like is booted out of there i thought like the actual story makes sense i'm still trying to you know i've now seen this movie twice and i i'm not sure like it it definitely feels like a metaphor <laughs> for the civil war and i obviously think that the the you know non-human aliens which is kind of cringe to say but like kind of feels like that's a metaphor for native americans while the two clashing sides feel like the north and south like it seems like there's something going on there that is like some kind of metaphor yeah. for the civil war that does not feel great <laughs> in 2020 yeah, there's you know? um Although it's, it is sort of established in the movies that, and granted, this is also probably a late 1800s white American perspective in some ways, but it seems like it doesn't create the idea that the, the red Martians, as they're called, which are, the, are basically typical humans, all yeah. of them white. Um, yes. Every single one of them. Which is also um, not great for 2012 when this is made or like, just, yeah. They're know, on Mars, um, but they're all, you know, they're human-esque aliens that live on Mars, but they're all white. Like, let's yeah. just be clear. Um, They're also but, dressed like Roman, like, centurions. To, like, I didn't exactly understand. They had machines that allowed them to fly, but also, 
Like their technology, I didn't quite wrap my brain around like where was, they were. It was a little all over the place. They were really advanced in some areas and really not in others. And either way, um, it didn't feel like the the humanoid, the more humanoid aliens were colonizers. Like that idea wasn't really pushed. Yeah. Um, and I mean that's obviously the narrative. I mean, like even with like the 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 native American wars in the, in the American West, like everybody kind of still admits that it's the white people kicking the native Americans off of their land. Yeah. And I mean, this movie does, you know, while I, like I said, I, it's really just me. Like, I'm not sure what to make of all of it. Like, I, I don't know that it has a firm stance and I haven't read the book. So I don't know uh, if they make things clearer, if it was changed to be, to feel more modern, but like, it definitely depicts like when in Brian Cranston's cameos, like John Carter one communicates with the native Americans. We don't know what he's saying, but he's clearly trying to have a dialogue with them. And then one of Brian Cranston's soldiers just shoots, you know, one of the native Americans just because pretty much. Yeah. So that goes on. Um, yeah. So again, like I said, it's just a lot to unpack where I'm like, I don't know if that would have been a better movie. I don't know if it would have made more sense to like really, uh, you know, look at this as a metaphor for the American Civil War. I, I don't know if that was the intent, but I definitely read. I don't know if it read that way to you. Maybe I should let you talk more because you're a history teacher and you might yeah. have a better perspective. Um, but like it read yeah, that I way mean, to I, me, you know. Yeah, I think that was there a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think. It, it sort of sat on the fence a little bit about whether or not like that should be a central topic to it. Um, so yeah, it's, and I, I think it was the fact that there wasn't like the red Martians were not trying to get the green Martians off of their land at all. Right. Either side. Yeah. And there were even, you know, there were even some, there was another tribe of Thark that were sided with the, the bad white people. Yeah. No, they so. just exist. They're just there. <laughs> like, yeah, they're they're all they're all yeah. living together, you know, and it, on it, Mars. Yeah, that's way less red. Um, yeah, you'd be happy to know. Not as red as you'd think. We also, I mean, we haven't. We're we're twenty five minutes into this show, and we haven't talked about the fact that John Carter can jump real far. Oh, he can jump real good. Yeah, <laughs> and he's also super strong. Yeah, and it, the logic seems to be that because his bone density is different than theirs, you know, like kind of playing with like maybe a 19th century understanding of uh, what would happen if, you know, gravity is different on Mars than it is in, you know, so. Right. There's something there. Like, yeah, it makes him super strong. He can like knock. He's the original one punch man. Yes, uh, he is. And he can jump real far. He kills those white apes real good. Yeah. And then there's also Mark Strong is part of like a secret society of uh, shapeshifters that influence things. Uh, they secretly. pull the strings. They're, they're pulling the strings. This is a great movie if you're a conspiracy theorist. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's just showing that, you know, there really is a secret cabal of people who are influencing uh, the politics on Barsoom. Yes. Um, yeah, I will say one of the things, like, 
the person that made the because we just watched the trailer, uh, they were able to pick out like some lines that like seemed like they'd be a big deal in the movie, but they just sound cool in the trailer. Like John Carter of Earth, <laughs> like. They don't know what Earth is on Mars. They no. call it Darsum or something like that. Yeah, there's a whole scene where we learn that, you know, where where they, they do some some planetary geography to clear up where they are. Because he doesn't know where he is because they're calling it Darsum. And he right. learns that he is on Mars and they learn that he is from Earth. Uh, yeah, all that's cleared up. <laughs> they they sorted it out so we don't have to. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think I think we've hit on a lot of the reasons is that it's because it, the book series had sort of been lost to the sands of time a little bit. Um, there weren't a ton of like people that like really loved the John Carter book series. Uh, I remember when um, I was working in a bookstore at the time and one of my coworkers was actually a big fan of the book series and he was really turned off by the trailer because he thought it made it look like a dumb action movie when the books are a, little, a lot more psychological. Um, but either way, uh, still haven't read the books. Um, but either there's not a huge basis of John Carter fans. Cause that was another thing that, um, some of the other stuff I was reading sort of said that one of the other reasons it faded away is that like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, a lot of those other sort of serials took enough influence from like the John Carter stuff that. Um, it's sort of, that was another reason it sort of got forgotten. So, you know, maybe there's something there, but either way, the movie flopped very badly. <laughs> I will like one more thing, because I, I feel like we're about to pivot to the silver lining part, which again, I think we've overall been pretty positive on this, but I, I will say, so I saw this movie, I saw a screening of it when it came out uh, and I enjoyed it. Uh, and then I had not thought about it <laughs> in the subsequent eight years. <laughs> Uh, and I rewatched it now. And what I will say is that I remembered that I liked it more than anyone else did when it came out. But I also didn't remember a lot about it. And so I do think that speaks to a problem, which is the movie is perfectly fine, but it also is pretty forgettable. Like there isn't really anything like there's nothing I can point to like the, you know, there's some fun stuff. I, I actually like the Coliseum stuff and the weird uh you know, symmetry of the eight episodes we've done. There's been a number of like, uh, Coliseum scenes, uh, on yeah. alien planets, but I, I think this one's good. Like it's pretty simple. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, but, uh, like it, it's, it's good, but there's nothing, like you said, I mean, the, the trailers make it look like there's these lines that are really going to hit and that like, there's going to be these big moments and there's nothing, there's nothing that's like outright bad, but there's also nothing that like, you're like, yeah, you know what scene's amazing? The blank scene, you know, you're like, right. It doesn't, it doesn't have the pod race scene or yeah, you yeah, know, the throwing basketballs at baby Godzilla scene or whatever <laughs> it might have, you know, those scenes that really stick with you from a movie. Yeah. And it, it is cool. And it's used in the trailer when the giant, uh, whatever it is like abominable snowman type, uh, you know, creature, that's there's two of them and they're giant and they're trying to eat him in a coliseum like that scene is fun but it still isn't like i don't know it, it it's cool when the monster comes out and then it's like it works pretty well yeah you know? it's, a, it's a fine little monster battle and it you know 
I think there's you know there's a lot of other movies that do a lot of the things that this movie does well better. Yeah, I think that is kind of the problem. It's like if you had never seen a movie before and you watched this one, you'd be blown away by it. But if you've like spent a lifetime watching movies, you're like, I mean, that was pretty good, but it's not as good as such and such. Right. Um, but I, I will say, I think one of the big silver linings is for all the world building that they did it without that Captain Exposition character. You know, yeah. like that character that just sits there. I mean, there was some of it. You know, Mark Strong's character was a little bit of that. Um yeah, you know, Defoe's care, but like they spread it out over a few different characters, um, and it wasn't like there are some movies that have a character that's literally just there to spout exposition. Yeah, um, when they also Gandalf by the way, and Lord of the Rings. I do think they, you know, I, one of the best scenes that kind of goes to what you're talking about is actually with Brian Cranston because it is the classic. If a lot of other movies, what they would have done is have that moment that I really do roll my eyes at every time. That's like, you know. John Carter and then like they basically just read the guy's bio to him you know like graduated right. top of his class you know <laughs> like yep. special forces like blah 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 like and they do and like they start to do that but then what happens is John Carter doesn't stay captured and he keeps trying to escape and they keep re-catching him but like that is a great example of you could have sat there and read his bio to us, but instead you show us who he is because he's trying to, he doesn't stay around to have his bio read to him. Like I learn more about him than if you gave me a bunch of facts about his history. Yeah. This movie did what movies are theoretically supposed to do and show you, but not tell you. Yeah. So like, I think it definitely showed, um, like, I think there's another great scene where, um, it's sort of like right when John Carter first encounters the Thark and um, you learn everything about them because they're, what they're doing is they're uh, harvesting uh, their nests to pick up like the next generation of Thark. And you sort of learn a lot about that species culture from how they do it and what they do with it and everything. Um, and it's not like we are Thark. We make sure our babies are strong and we only pick the strong babies and yada, yada, yada. So and also, they do a good job, too, of, like, threading the idea of how a challenge works. Like, I, you understand, you know, that Willem Dafoe is their leader, but uh, Thomas Hayden Church can challenge his leadership if someone else seconds, you know, the, the like, basically, he can be like, I challenge you. And if someone else, what is it? I think they say, like, lends their steel or whatever, like, then right. then you just need a second person to back you up and then you're allowed to, like, challenge them it's a little unclear because it seems like it's to the death, but then also, you know, I guess spoilers uh, like Thomas Hayden church ends up locking Willem Dafoe up at, at some point in the movie. Uh, so all that's a little clear, but like you understand how it works. Uh, and then that pays off in the end, you know, uh, in the Coliseum scene. So like the, and all of that was done without being like, our Culture is such, John Carter. Let me explain it to you. It all right. started years ago. Like, yeah, there, you're right. There's none of that. Um, so for sure, that is a silver lining that like uh, the movie's paced pretty well. It doesn't info dump. There isn't a character whose job it is to like explain the world to you. It, it and especially because you have it, you have a character in John Carter that could very logically be asking all of those questions because this is literally all new to him. He's well, right. literally on a new planet. Well, that is a move like for people uh, who who don't know, like if you, you know, don't look at movies <laughs> like to, to kind of spot these tropes and stuff of 
I mean, like Ghostbusters is an easy example of like they'll tell you that Winston Zeddemore exists in Ghostbusters to be an outsider who they can explain how all this stuff works to because it wouldn't have made sense for the other characters because they're all uh, like share kind of equal levels of knowledge of the stuff that they're building. So they're all scientists. So they needed a guy who like didn't have a science background who they could be like, this is a, you know. This is used to capture the ghost. Like, this is our, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, but movies always have that guy. Like, it's someone's first day or, like, someone who doesn't know. They bring them in to try to make it feel organic to be like, this is how the world works. New person, blah, blah, blah. And, like, literally, like you're saying, John Carter is going to a new planet where he doesn't know how anything works. Yeah, we could have spent a lot of the movie just going, like, this is our Starbucks. You know, (laughs) this is like. (laughs) Wonder what is their Starbucks? That's true. Like, well, that's, I mean, uh, the movie does a good job, like, showing the people, but also not ever really explaining, like, I have no sense of what the day-to-day life of any uh, Barsoom species is, like, what they do for fun, like, what their downtown looks like, you know. Well, the Thark, they watch, well, they scramble around for the babies when they get dumped out of the bag. Yeah, there's that. And then they go to the, the, the Coliseum fight. Yeah, I mean, we probably have the best sense of them, but, like, the other, uh, you know, the more humanoid uh, species, we don't really know uh, what they do for fun. Because, again, they dress like gladiators, but they have some advanced... Yeah, but they they have some advanced technology. I would have killed for a scene of Dominic West just, like, hanging out, you know, like, downtime. Just chilling. I think that would have (laughs) been helpful. Just going to Lexington Market, getting some crab cakes. Exactly. Using his kids to do front and follow on (laughs) someone. Yeah. Uh, But anyway. um, Yeah. So, I mean, that's the silver lining. Uh, Willem Dafoe is always a silver lining of everything. He's he's great. He's a great actor. And I would say, in general, maybe Taylor Kitsch aside, uh, I think the cast itself is solid. Like, No, I I was when um, I think I even texted you when I was first starting to watch the movie. Um, it's like, wow, this movie has a killer cast. It's, it really does. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of really great, a lot of actors who maybe aren't like big movie stars, um, but are very good character actors and, you know, very, you know, they, they know their, their role and they do it. And, but yeah, I mean, we've already talked about Mark Strong, who is one of my favorites. I, I love him. He's one of those people that's like, he's often the best part of whatever he's in. Also, you know, Mark Strong, actor. you know, is often used in and especially movies like this as a villain and i think it's because within two seconds of seeing him on the screen you're like that guy's bad and i understand why like like he immediately adds credibility to like don't trust this guy like i don't know what he's up to but you don't yeah something something's fishy about this guy uh so i think Um, that's really his jam is being something's fishy about this guy yeah, Kingsman is, I think, the only movie where he's not the bad guy. Yeah, which he's still really good in. But and yeah. he's still great in that, yeah. But he is but a guy that I love to see play villains. Because he just, he chews the scenery in a way that feels grounded and believable, too. Yeah, No, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, You know, Cast- like in Kick-Ass and a lot of other movies that he does. He's, yeah. He, he's definitely, he hams it, but like with restraint i don't know like i don't know how you could do that but mark strong does it yeah uh but that was good i think uh the special effects are good like the movie looks good i think yeah it never no one feels like they're acting in front of a green screen um the the 
CGI characters, the Thark, look like they're actually in the space. Yeah. Um, it looks like they have weight, which is usually one of the major flaws of bad CGI. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is that they don't look like they actually have mass and have weight in the world, but the the Thark definitely do. Um, I'd yeah, say I mean, the set design is cool. Yeah, I'd say another weird parallel. I don't know why all these movies have these things in common. I guess they're just sci-fi tropes, and we've been doing a lot of sci-fi. But, like, uh, we did talk about when we did the Star Wars prequels of the wasted use of characters that can uh, change their appearance. And I think this movie used it. Uh, it didn't use it a lot, but with Mark Strong's character, the fact that he could change into other people was used pretty well at the end of the movie. Like, they had some fun with that. Yeah. Kind of did a very abbreviated version of... Uh, the like, you know, you know, whatever you want to call it, the two Spider-Mans, the evil twin kind of like there's yeah. uh, a good and a bad version of a character, you know, and you got to save the one like they did some of that stuff. Uh, yeah. And it was you, they play like also, I think pretty decent moments of levity in this movie. Like, I wouldn't say that it's a great comedy or that but like a lot of times you know like the that's the blurb on the poster john carter not a great comedy <laughs> but you know what i mean there were some like no, i, know I chuckled i chuckled a few times like yeah, there's some good... it, it didn't have like the the pithiness of a marvel movie or anything but yeah it was it was there was some chuckles and like they did i they could have i think it was good that they held back on playing up the fish out of water thing with john carter yeah because it was so obvious that like you know, luckily the uh, the the white alien spoke English. You know, yeah, that was very confusing too. That like he they make a big point about the fact that he he seems to drink. Uh, it's like a milk. I, I don't know if I exact like he because he's lumped Thark in juice. with. Yeah, he's like kind of lumped in with their their newborns uh, and being treated the same way they are. And I guess the implication is that whatever it is that they drink allows them to instantly learn the language. Uh, I I guess would be what we're selling of like that's how the the babies learn to talk, uh, but yeah. they give it to him and then he's able to understand them. But yeah, the the human characters before that because we get subtitles for uh, that uh, species, but the yeah. human characters all speak English and are all white. All of that's not good. I just want to say that one more time. Yeah, all like, of that is bad. It yeah. is all bad. Uh, but uh, um, I think it, I thought it was a clever way to get around the subtitles is I'm, I'm going to guess that John Carter didn't drink the Thark milk and become fluent in Tharkish in the books. Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to guess that that was just a way to just sort of speed up the movie by having them just understand each other. Yeah. And instead of having to do that whole Buffalo Tatanka Tatanka Buffalo. Thing. Yeah. Cause they do that for like a scene. You know, and uh, it's a little uh, Michigan J. Frog <laughs> in that uh, Willem Dafoe is very impressed that he can jump, but then he won't do it for his friends, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, you know, I, I think we've we've hit it. I think we, you know, like we said, this movie is fine. Like if you really love sci-fi and you have Disney Plus uh, and you want to watch a sci-fi movie or if you've read the books, like it, it's it's fine. Yeah. I I would even go as far to say that let's say that you've seen none of the movies that we're talking about in this podcast. One, thanks for listening. Yeah. We appreciate it. I'm not sure Big why, thanks. but thanks. <laughs> Big thanks. Yeah. Um, I would say that I would say that this is the one most worth seeing. Definitely. Yeah. If you if you trust our opinion, maybe that's it, too. Maybe you've seen the other movies 
uh, so far and you've agreed with us, then believe us that you would probably enjoy this one more than the others. <laughs> Maybe. And it doesn't even have a, like a, you know, late 90s uh, Puff Daddy heavy soundtrack or anything. So. Although the trailer had Cashmere and Puff Daddy also wrapped over Cashmere. <laughs> yeah. Another similarity between are we just, common thread with these movies. Are we just talking about the same movie every week? I don't know what's happening. Maybe this is our Groundhog Day, which is a great movie that we'll never get to talk about on here. Because no, everyone... we'll never talk about that one. Unless we do like an opposite day episode or something. Just talk about a great movie. But we could do a whole month of movies that have tried to be Groundhog Day. We could. <laughs> so many options. Um, anyway. I think the fact that I rolled my eyes at that means it's, it's it's fertile ground for this podcast. For sure. But yeah, so the other silver lining is that, you know, after two months of watching all these movies, uh, I didn't outwardly, like, hate my time watching this one. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would agree with that. that this is the one. It is probably the best. Because, I mean, the three Star Wars prequels. Rise of Skywalker, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Godzilla, and Jupiter Ascending. This is definitely the best movie of all of those. Yeah. Which, I don't know, since we're here, we should wrap this up. But uh, yeah. I'd probably, if you're curious, I'd put Godzilla after this one. And then I don't know what happens after that. But I might put League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You know but what? It's a That's... big jump down. Yeah. It's those three are the best. And then everything else is definitely not as good yeah i'm i'm with you but all right uh you know thank you for hanging with us so far and remember and martian sci-fi doesn't play in middle america there's our sign off <laughs> we did it silver linings playback is a production of hobotrashcan.com if you enjoyed the show please rate or review it on apple podcasts hear more great shows on the peak sloth podcast network like this one how many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio. A weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network.